and you wake up and you go, hello. <laughs> <laughs> what's going what's going on down there i thought you could say hmm that's funny <laughs> or eureka <laughs> you're listening to the occupational philosophers with simon banks and john rice Welcome to the Occupational Philosophers, but before we go any further, what are you going to get out of today's show? Why entrepreneurs, with their insatiable curiosity, are able to see things that other people miss. We'll explore how if we're open to surprises, coincidences and mistakes, we can get unexpected insights that can be truly valuable. And why you should always take the laundry out of the rain before you answer that ringing telephone. Welcome to the Occupational Philosophers. Hey, Simon, how are you and uh, what's caught your eye this week? Hello, John. Nice to see you as always. What's caught my eye this week? We're often talking around questions and asking good quality questions and questions can do the heavy lifting. And I've been doing a little bit of research on the questions that people are asked at interviews because they're becoming a little bit more alternate, a little bit more abstract, and we're trying to weasel out the best candidate So I've been looking at some of these, and some of these are, how would you answer this? What do you think of garden gnomes? (laughs) This is a a genuine question. You spotted this. A genuine question asked by the US company Trader Joe's. (laughs) I like that one. Well, you know, cute but slightly sinister. Yeah, so ultimately, if your candidate is able to handle this curveball with ease, it shows an impressive ability to react quickly to bizarre circumstances. So, John, yeah. well done. Yeah. You're, uh, you're through to the next round. Okay, mm-hmm. another one. Give me, tra- from- me my Trader Joe overalls or whatever they wear. <laughs> another one is from UBS, the bank. Why are manholes round? <laughs> I'm really, really thinking hard on this one. Why are they round? So that you can move them away easier. You can roll them away. Yes, that's one of them. Anything else? So you can drop donuts down the manhole. (laughs) (laughs) Big donuts. Exactly. (laughs) You've got it. There you Uh, go. Some of this is a round manhole cover can't fall through the round round Uh, manhole opening. A square cover, on the other hand, could fit diagonally. Also, a circular cover fits easily, can be removed easily without much precision or rotating. So anyone can do it. And I'll go to my last one. Um, I didn't get that job, did I? No, sorry. You can't work in UBS. Uh, Last one. If you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be and why? What type of tree? Well, instinctively, I went for a big, solid oak that could withstand high winds and bad weather. Well, I think you do very well because this is asked by the company Walgreens and your ideal candidate should say something like this. I would be an oak tree because I'm strong and dependable. (laughs) Hey, and I could put up with bad weather. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. You have to. So I'll turn up at the store in any weather. There you go. That's it. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Oh, now, oh, I've, yeah. I've got one more. I've got one more. This comes from the Dell, the computer company. Are you a hunter or a gatherer? <laughs> uh, wait a minute. What was the company again? 
Dell computer company. Dell. Yeah, laptops. Mm. Mm. I'm a gatherer. Okay. <laughs> do I have to what explain you, why? Yeah, what do you gather? I, ga- I gather people together. I gather ideas together. I gather customers to come to Dell and buy more computers. Okay, well, that would work because this is you want your candidate to focus their answer around qualifications of the specific role. So if you're hiring for a content creator role, you'd say, I'm a gatherer. I enjoy collecting critical SEO data and insights over time and tailor my content to reach long-term goals. Who would say that? (laughs) (laughs) If they said that, I'd go, oh, I don't know. (laughs) Put a line through that one. Okay, but ultimately hunters and gatherers are two very different categories of people. So the question can help you quickly discern what type of strengths and weaknesses your candidate is likely to display in the role. So there you go. Questions, John? Questions, what it's all about? You took me that, I mean, you took me into a thought experiment really there, didn't you? Uh, that was... <laughs> yeah, almost, almost. <laughs> <laughs> I liked I it a lot. Get, I did get it in early. I did like that. Get in early. <laughs> and what's like caught your curious eye this week, John? Well, yeah. my kids have become obsessed by a show on netflix called i think it's called baking impossible or something something like that okay or the bacon is and it's the idea that they have a show of someone who's good at baking and they have someone who is an engineer and they put the baker and the engineer together and then they give them tasks and they have to then create something made of food like usually a cake of some description but it has to sort of pass some sort of engineering test. So it might be they create a Rube Goldberg machine or they have to create a city made of cakes that has to withstand an earthquake or a car that has to sort of protect a car crash dummy as it sort of drives into a wall. This is a, a cake car driving into a wall at 25 miles an hour. And it's it's absolutely fascinating. So <laughs> I'm, it- I've become slightly obsessed by it. I love it. So, they call them baconeers. Okay, baconeers, baconeers. So everything has to be made out of cake materials? or like Well, for the most part, yeah. So you might have some sort of uh, – so for the car one recently, they had the chassis and the seat for the car crash dummy, but then everything else around it was made of, of food. So they had Rice Krispies and gelatine and pasta and noodles and oh. chocolate and all sorts and sponge, a lot of sponge. But maybe, you know, like when you make a, a scone or a scone, you call them in England, you leave them out for three or four days and they go rock hard, that might be the, the bumper bar. Yeah. <laughs> That's it, yeah. Yes, you need something that diffuses the energy, as I found. And, yeah, Rice Krispies are very good. All right. Well, I'm going to tune into this show, John. I like it. Uh, you'll be hooked. Within minutes, you'll be hooked. <laughs> So, Simon, what's today's show about? Very good question, John. And as you know, questions are what the show is all about. But I've been thinking how, especially in the world of innovation and creativity, but I guess looking at that innovation lens, as much as we want it to be, things are never linear. Okay, Things always happen that we wouldn't have expected. 
And the more we're open to thinking differently, I guess taking off our blinkers, not always assuming we have the exact right answer before we've asked the question, we may discover things that really surprise us. So I guess the theme of today is mashups or accidental mashups or things that might have happened that people didn't expect that had a very positive outcome. And I'm quoting the author Isaac Asimov, I hope I've got his name right, he said, the most exciting phrase to hear in science, the one that heralds new discoveries is not Eureka, but, hmm, that's funny. (laughs) So (laughs) good scientists search for the significance of surprises, coincidences and mistakes with a little curiosity and perseverance they can turn unexpected incidents into new insights. Hmm. This is good. I like this topic. So this is a chance for people to think about how to embrace the unexpected. And also we'll have a look at some organisations, I would say, and things that have been invented where they have embraced the unexpected. And that's been the secret of their success. Mm -hmm. I have to say that uh, saying hmm, that's funny, happens a lot in our house, but it's not related to any amazing discovery or invention. It's usually me going, hmm, that's funny. Where did I leave my glasses? Or hmm, that's funny. I'm sure I had a box of chocolates in this fridge and they've gone. Yeah, that goes to our pain in our last episode with uh, <laughs> Dr. Brock. Hmm. <laughs> and funnily enough, I just had my birthday and the same thing happened this week. Went to my little oh, side wow. cupboard next to my bed and one of my chocolates has been unwrapped. And I thought, hmm. <laughs> and then you thought, Eureka, I'll change my hiding place. <laughs> so it's been a breakthrough. It's been a breakthrough. And look, in Radio Land, this would be called a segue, John. And I'm going to go through to, I think, one of the better known breakthroughs, which has come from that accidental happening and then very curious observation. George Demestral, and I hope I've got his name right. What I like about George, he's going for a hike, 1941, and he's on a hunting trip. He's got him and his dog, which is an Irish pointer, which is quite sort of, I think they're long-haired, and both of them were covered in, like, burrs, you know, those little things you get on your legs and you always have to pick them off and stick in your socks. And, you know, most of us, we get them and go, oh, these things and we especially if you've got a long-haired dog and you have to go back and <laughs> get all the pick birds out of them yeah pick them up <laughs> george decided he looked he decided he would go home and study the birds under a microscope more out of curiosity mm. rather than just thinking there's a surprise here and he wasn't inspired by business says the ceo of velcro which is the company now he was just inspired by science If you need to know how something works, sometimes you just need to know. However, he was constructed. He just really needed to know, quote, unquote. And what he saw was all those thousands of tiny little hooks that efficiently attach to any fabric or hair. Thus, Mm. the start of the Velcro journey. And and, uh, then he went on to start making what uh, some prototypes from this idea. Well, he did. And what I I like about this, though, which comes to a theme of all of our guests, all of the people we look at, they worked very hard. It took him about 20 years to get this, to get Velcro up and into the market. So well into the the swinging 60s, if that's (laughs) the right way to say it. And because there's a lot of people. When Velcro was very much in in vogue. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, it did. It, it did. <laughs> well, I'll tell you why it became in vogue. But after getting a load of knockbacks, people saying it couldn't work, not being able to work out what material they could use, how to create something that had a, a hook and a loop sequence, he finally... He did get it made. He decided, I'm actually, no one can make it for me. I'm going to make it myself. He did get it made, but it just wasn't catching on. And what do you think in the 1960s, a really big event happened, sort of blew the world's mind, and this is when this Velcro was essential. What do you think it was? Uh. Possibly the biggest thing at that time to happen in a positive way, in a positive way. In a positive way. I don't know. I'll give you a clue. Yeah. This is one small leap for oh, okay. And another oh, big right. one for okay. mankind. A trip to the moon. So, oh, wow. So he his invention found its place in, in space technology. Yeah, but how do you think? What do you think? Like, think about the inside well, of a, of a sticking spacecraft. Things, <laughs> sticking things to, to walls or sticking things on the inside exactly, of the space yeah. rocket. Oh, what? Where's <laughs> my toothbrush? Oh, God, it's floating around over there. God, I wish I had something to, <laughs> to attach it. Have you heard of this thing called Velcro? <laughs> it wasn't to stick the astronauts to the wall then. They needed something more. <laughs> no. Well, no, but for their toothbrushes when... and, and, yeah, and, other toilet <laughs> toiletries. Well, I don't think it was just limited to toiletries, but it was literally how do they keep things from floating away while they're in uh, orbit? Oh, and then it took off, and then it took off, and now it's used literally. For yeah, <laughs> used for like holding plane wings on and all sorts of stuff. So it's used such heavy wow. construction material. But that one little chance accident, followed by a lot of determination and also a huge amount of curiosity to look at that accident and think, oh, I wonder, what if? It led to something yeah. we all use each and every day. Simon, do you know what you will get in terms of images if you Google the word innovation? What do you think Possibly. I Google this a lot. You definitely see one of the classic ones is something of a light bulb in some form. You would. You would see a light bulb. Edison and his fantastic efforts to create the light bulb after many, many mistakes or rather experiments. Uh, uh, anything else that you think? Yeah, yeah, you often get one, the one of the brain with like sort of left and right brain and like the right brain is sort of, you know, flowing paint and the left brain just going, I'm boring. So, <laughs> <laughs> Which is that so you, of- yes, yeah, that idea of, of where innovation emerges from, yeah. And then I'm, I'm just thinking about innovation in terms of product, a bit like light bulb. Any other products or things that have yes, been brought into this world that you might see? One I rail against a little bit because I think it gets used too much as the only way to come up with ideas. Would it be sticky notes? It is sticky notes. Uh-huh. 3M, oh, oh. The 3M yep. story, the idea that they were trying to create some super strong adhesive and they were going to use that in aircraft construction. And there was a chap called Spencer Silver who was working on that. And it obviously it took a lot of experimentation and they couldn't quite get that to work. They they had this adhesive called acrylate copolymer microspheres and they were weak, which was weaker, pressure sensitive adhesive, but uh, kept failing. They were finding that it wasn't sticky enough and you'd peel it away, didn't leave any residue was something that could be reused but it didn't have the strength they were looking for so it kind of sort of fell by the wayside as one of the things they were sort of working on and couldn't find any use in its intended purpose of aircraft construction 
Yeah, and good story here. This actually sat idle for like 10 years. And by one of these, well, like this mashup, this mashup of ideas, another guy who worked for 3M, Art Fry, which is an unusual name. <laughs> it's a great name, isn't it? Yeah, that alone, that's a mashup in itself, isn't it? <laughs> Cooking and painting, Art Fry. So <laughs> the new show, BBC Four. So <laughs> Art Fry, he was a singer. And he sung in the church choir and he was complaining that every time they tried to put a, like a little marker in their hymn book, they would put it in with sticky tape. Sticky tape would leave residue, would peel the paper off. Hymn books, uh, I guess back in the 60s, that's tissue-ish type paper. If you remember like a, an old-fashioned very Bible. Very delicate, yeah. The pages yeah. turned gently with gloves. And he was complaining, he said, I need something which will be a glue, but I can pull on and off, stick it back on and won't leave a mark. A accidental mashup. What happened there, I wonder. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's the mashup. And it's uh, great, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The, and look, another moral of our story that is comes with all of these, again, took a long time to catch on. They couldn't, they knew this was great. They could stick things to walls. This was great. You know, it was good for sticking things around the office, but they were still very limited by this sense of what it could be done and why would you want to stick something to the wall and why would then someone could pull it off? So a lot of, I guess, sort of uh, cliches still hanging around. And it only took off when they tried three or four marketing rounds to get this accepted. And then they just sent it to clients in the end. Here's some stuff to try. And then people said, hell yeah, we like that. And they kept ordering. And now we can't imagine a world without post-it notes. They're all over the fridge at home with instructions of what I need to do from day to day. <laughs> do this, take this, the bins go out on a Thursday, those sort of things. They're post-it notes on the fridge. <laughs> so really they've been weaponized, haven't they? <laughs> <laughs> post-it notes have been weaponized. <laughs> when one's partner, you see him come back with a big thing of post-it notes, you go, oh, no, got a terrible month ahead. <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a busy weekend. <laughs> Bring up your friends. Just going to cancel those plans now. <laughs> The post-it notes uh, have arrived. Now, I think, though, when you think about a lesson for this, is this sat idle for so many years, but there was still that curiosity to think, okay, there's there's something there. And you might even call it the half-baked idea I often refer to. There's something in it. I don't know what it is, but I'm an idea looking for something, looking for something to connect with. Yeah, you've and you've got, as you say, you've got to keep that curious eye open to see then when that moment when that thing comes in and you suddenly realize ah there's the opportunity there's the thing the mashup as it were of where it could be used the mention of art fry there simon around the 3m story we just had also then uh, ties into one of the other great inventions that I think we would all agree have revolutionised our lives, and that's uh, the potato chip, or crisp, as we would have mm. it in the UK. Potato chips, I think, in Australia, and I know they say that in America as well, don't they, potato chips? Yeah, uh, potato that, chips uh, here. Yeah. Potato chips. So this was the, the story of George Crumb, who kind of was the Gordon Ramsay of his day. He was, like the, <laughs> he, was the, he was the main man. It didn't have a show, but he would have had a show. And <laughs> apparently he was easily angered but resourceful. 
which I think is a, a lovely description. You wouldn't put that on your Tinder profile, would you? No, <laughs> that's the Gordon Ramsay. Like, imagine, imagine on your Tinder profile if you say, "Want to know more about me? Think Gordon Ramsay." Like, I wonder how many people would. <laughs> Not knocking Gordon Ramsay, by any means. Of course, that, you know, the, yeah, the persona he has on television. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, the customer complaining that the French fries that they'd been served were too thick, uh, too soggy. So they came back to the kitchen and Crumb, angrily, because he's angry but resourceful, he sliced these potatoes as absolutely thin as he could. He fried them to an inch of their lives and maybe a bit more. And then he brought them back served with salt. And the customer loved them. (laughs) And so (laughs) on that day... In 1853, the world's favourite snack food, the potato chip or crisp, if you're in the UK, was born. And it was entirely out of rage and spite. (laughs) Well, it's the unusual mashup, isn't it? And you think around if you ever complain about a meal because something's not right, you do it with trepidation because we've all read those stories. People like yeah, untold stories from chefs and, yeah, they complain. I spat in their meal and I saw uh, them eat it. So um, that could have been one of those incidences where you just came back with like spit-covered fries. <laughs> That, that, and that never caught on, surprisingly. No. But imagine it could have also been, hey, complain about your meal and something better will come out. Well, you know, maybe that's those other food mashups that you get, you know, like cronuts. Maybe somebody complained about their croissant and their donut, so it was come back as a cronut. Have you ever had a cronut? I haven't, actually. <laughs> but now I've said that, I think maybe I have to go and hunt one down. Well, I was just reading about it today, and there's a bakery in London. So Dominique Ansel is the chef. And, uh-huh. you know, it takes him three days to make a cronut. <laughs> That's <laughs> a lot of effort. It must be amazing to take three days. This, got to be this is my point. Yeah, this is yeah. my point. They're apparently pretty good. But they, <laughs> but the mashup of unusual things, and his story is quite interesting. He'd always had a, a donut because they're very popular in New York, but he he loved croissants and he just thought, hmm, what if? And he, after 10 rounds of experimentation, just reading about this recently in my book, actually, John, a little bit about mm-hmm. the cronut, he launched that and a food blogger went and wrote about it and have been best ever since. And you can only order two at a Why time. Why is that? Why is that? Well, they're so popular. Like, it takes three days to make. Oh, right. well, they're <laughs> rationed. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Two per order. And also, Red, you can, if you want to order like 50, you have to do it a month ahead. So you can do an online order of 50. It has to be a month ahead. God. Could you think that far ahead to think, I'm going to be really hungry in a month's time? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to really fancy a cronut <laughs> four weeks on Tuesday. <laughs> Now, this is a really interesting mashup, and it's from the world of, I guess we'll call it science, and it's actually about one of the fastest-selling drugs of all time, but its current use is a lot different from what it was first intended for. And this caught my eye. I didn't know about this, actually, just doing a little bit of research, but this is the drug Viagra. (laughs) Right. Okay. (laughs) Now, originally, it was marked as a treatment for angina, which is, as you know, like a 
a quite serious heart condition. Mm. You get a lot of pressure in your chest and my sense is hospitalisation and that type of stuff. Oh, yeah. It's, it's quite, yeah, it can be quite serious, yeah. So funnily enough, it proved to be very ineffective for uh, angina sufferers, but the study participants realised there was so- something else going on. So. <laughs> <laughs> that euphemism will do. <laughs> Something else was going on. <laughs> but just, just imagine, like you'll um, imagine you're, you're in hospital. So I guess yeah, angina is like you're sort of older. I'm imagining sort of maybe I guess later in life and go and then you wake up and you go, hello, <laughs> <laughs> what's going what's going on down there? I thought you were going to say, hmm, that's funny. <laughs> or Eureka. <laughs> Both, both will work. <laughs> or, or, or I'm sort of think, thinking about it, like the doctors and um, the researchers, they're, they're going, these guys aren't looking any better, but have you seen what's happening up on Ward 7? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, but if it were me, I mean, I'd be going, I mean, wow, this is amazing, but I'm too scared to use it because I've still got angina. <laughs> and uh, it's maybe not the best image but you know you wear those hospital gowns so that <laughs> let's be careful here let's be careful well <laughs> <Let's> just... <laughs> I'm just thinking when they made the breakthrough the Something's not right here, but I think we're on to something. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Simon, it's time for another thought experiment. And this is something that I really enjoy, which is, is words, the meaning of words, lost words, and words that maybe just really funny to talk about so i'm gonna share some words with you some phrases that are real might not be commonly used anymore but i want to see if you can guess what they mean and it's as simple as that okay okay so i've got i've got three of these and i'm gonna just uh, start with this so the first is cram basled cram basled cram basled i'm thinking you're trying to cram in so much information. Um, what's the a bit like bamboozled? Some cram basled. Ah, oh, so bamboozled. Yeah, another great word there. No, it's not bad, but it's not right. Cram basled is actually to be prematurely aged through excessive <laughs> drinking. <laughs> so, in other words, to have achieved this you'd have to have really gone for it. You'd partied well and hard, and the consequence of that is you'd be probably sporting a red nose, big red nose. You might be sat at the end of the bar in the pub, people sort of ignoring you as you supped another pint of ale or mead, and it was, uh, yeah, it was a clear sign of someone who was, (laughs) who'd been Keith Richards for much of their life. So you're saying supped another ale or mead. What what century are we in, like the Dark Ages? <laughs> well, it's quite mead. an old word. It, <laughs> okay. It's quite an old word. 
<laughs> I should say that some of these words are in a book by the fantastic Susie Dent, who's a, a UK presenter and obviously author of a book and she's drawn all these lovely words together and it's a fantastic encyclopedia of of lost words actually or words that we don't use too often but like almost word mashups cran basil word some of them are word mashups for sure okay all Uh, right so you can see this idea of mashups is carried on through many centuries and yeah through language is quite a big way that you see mashups i mean portmanteau words are the other ways that you see mashups where you get two words that come together like um like Brexit, <laughs> Britain's exit, Brexit. And so these mashups of words form in our language when we try to ca- encapsulate something. I've got one, Brangelina. Brad um, uh, Pitt absolutely. and Brangelina. Absolutely, yeah. Brangelina is another one. So you could do it with names, you can do it with ideas and concepts, you can do it with products. Next one for you is Pandiculate. Pandiculate. Easy. Pandiculate. Pandiculate. I was wondering, let me put in a sentence. I was wandering through the bakery and I pandiculated. No, I sort of pan bread. <laughs> uh, I was oh, yeah, down yeah. the street. I was pandiculating about what time I might get there. Uh, yeah. No, no. No. So, yeah, you kind of sort of you've got it in the in the realms of thinking about something, but it's okay. actually a, more of a physical thing. Pandiculating or to pandiculate is um, when you stretch and yawn at the same time. Yeah. You know that one you do in the morning? Yeah, sure. The really nice does. one. It's quite yeah. It's quite a nice action, I think. That whole stretch and yawn where you really sort of, sort of let it all up. And that sort of right. sets you for the day. You almost kind of sort of, yeah, you that could is say- pandiculating. I was pandiculating this morning because last night I was crambazzled. You know, when you wake up with a hangover. Yeah. <laughs> Feeling crambazzled, have a quick pandiculate and then jump out of bed, <laughs> ready to face the day. Um, I've got one more for you. Okay. I've got one more for you. And that is uh, something that you may have heard before bugbear. Bugbear. Yeah, well, it's something that gives you the, annoys you. Yeah, it's a bugbear. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the that's my interpretation of it now. Yeah, you got these bugbears; they're they're annoyances or irritations, of which yeah. there are many in modern life. <laughs> but but actually, that's not the, the original the, meaning. No, no, it was actually sort of rooted in um, horror and terror, and it was things of of the night, such as hobgoblins and monsters ah. and ghouls and things. These were bugbears, and they and hellhounds would come forward, and it was all meant to you know an imaginary scary creature that would come yeah. and terrorize children and so they used to give the idea of the bugbear which kind of morphed a little bit you get bogey men you get the yeah, bogey yeah. bugbear yeah. so it's derivations of that but it was all about something which gave fright to people and then it sort of then became the interpretation that we have something of today which is more something that was a, a fear or something you didn't like or and then we've kind of sort of i don't know diminished a little now as you say now it's just things that annoy us <laughs> now yeah. it's just something really annoying like squeaky wheel on a shopping trolley that kind of thing you know somebody nicking your car park place at the, just as you're about to go into it they're bugbears aren't they john we've looked at some examples from in i guess larger organizations you might say even though george de Mestrel might fit into what we're about to talk about but i quite like the idea of entrepreneurial world we make 
connections that other people might have missed. So when you're curious, you see opportunities that other people didn't even know were there. And it's often about these mashups of different things. And it's often involving technology, an unmet need, an idea, something I guess humanity, I call it as well, so which is a makes us feel a better version of ourselves or really fits that space. So I thought it might be just a couple of examples just to give this idea of how when we connect things which were previously unconnected and ask new questions, massive things can happen. And let's look at a couple of huge examples and things that have really dominated this entrepreneurial space maybe the last 15 years. First one, Airbnb. Airbnb. Yeah, yeah, gone massive really quickly. When did that come about? Now, it's about 2007. The uh, two designers, good friends, the names have escaped me now. <laughs> so two designers, good friends, they were realising they needed a bit extra cash and there was a big design conference going to be on in San Francisco that weekend, which they were attending. And if you've ever been to a big city, like San Francisco or London or wherever that may be, you know, accommodation is quite expensive. And also because there was so much going on in the city, it was really impossible to find any accommodation. So they thought, ask the question, what if we rented out some space in our house, we create a room, which is where we uh, let our guests stay, but we don't say that there's a bed on the floor, which is literally what it was, the bed on the floor. We give them like a primo experience. We do them breakfast, we take them out, with us, we showed them around, they party with us, all that type of stuff. And they created their first little notice board and three people came and stayed that weekend. And what do you reckon? What was the reaction, John? What was the reaction of the guests? <laughs> what was the reaction of the guests? Yeah, what was the reaction of the guests? What am I doing sleeping on someone's floor? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> this is what you think. What they... The guests loved that they were staying with someone and it was a personable experience and they were taken out to bars they wouldn't have gone to and they were taken to different places. They were shown coffee shops. And so they really loved this sort of holidaying like you're at home experience. And that yeah. is the idea for Airbnb kicked off just from asking a question and seeing we've got some spare space. Why not? Why don't we try and rent it out? Yeah, and it's turned the world of accommodation on its head, like literally. the As you know, this is always quoted, Airbnb is the biggest accommodation provider in the world, but they don't own any hotels. But that yeah, lovely yeah. story, and what I like about it, they're actually designers, so they use that, they've built that whole experience with a design mindset, so very human-centred. And you were saying, as you were saying, that, that Airbnb, if you put in the word disruption into Google, you start to see people like Airbnb, and also Uber is another one of those ones. So it's not just innovation. They say they disrupt the market. They 100%. change things in such a way that the games change completely. In fact, Uber, again, similar sort of time. I know Uber 2008, which kind of similar, as you say, in Airbnb was 2007. Similar idea where it was just born out of a question. I think that the guys there, it's two friends. It's Travis Kalanick and Garrett Camp. And they were, again, at a tech conference in Paris. And they came out trying to get a cab back to the hotel or wherever, or maybe back to the Airbnb. <laughs> and uh, they couldn't get one. So question was asked, what if you could get a, a ride or request a ride on your phone? Again, that question set them off on a journey. And uh, they then disrupted the whole taxi cab transport, per, you know, hired transport market completely. Yeah, and now it's everywhere. Now Uber's doing 
food deliveries, everything. And if you've been at a, I go a lot of innovation conferences, design conferences, whatever that may be, not so much now, but Uber for years, that was, we need to Uberize. It was almost like there became a a verb. We need to Uberize, Uber this, Uber that. But what I like about them, they just, they ask questions and they connected previously unconnected things Mm. through, you know, like you said, the question does the heavy lifting and just being really curious, trying something. Yeah, there's a lot of Venn diagrams, I suspect, on whiteboards in Uber HQ where they go, what can we do with this and this? Ah, there's an intersection. (laughs) Let's play. Now, just speaking about Venn diagrams, I heard a speaker speak this week. He's um, at a conference I was involved with, Gus Belbonton, I think is how I say his name, ex-Lonely Planet, was the CEO of Lonely Planet and really interesting guy, and he said, Every time he's talking around innovation, he said, you just got to get started. Whatever it is, don't over plan, just get started. But one of his quotes was, and someone said, I remember you saying this five or six years ago, every time someone does a Gantt chart, a fairy dies. So <laughs> <laughs> talking around Venn diagrams. But look, last one I want to speak about is, and someone again, which is a disruptor, but has connected different things, and Heston Blumenthal of the Fat Mm. Duck Restaurant in the UK. And most of us, Mm. if you don't live in the UK or if you do live in the UK, would know him from his crazy, I guess not crazy, but that science experiments with food. And so that Mm. blend of science and food has led him to actually getting a honorary fellowship with the Royal Society of Chemistry which is pretty cool. <laughs> that is great. <laughs> what I love about his, what he brings to this, and which I guess caught my eye, plus I, my glasses are based on Heston's. I thought he's got these uh, big, I can see that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those you, massive uh... frames. So I thought I'm going to go, go a bit Heston. But what I love, his quote, and it ties into a lot of things we talk about, I guess I came at it with the attitude of a kid, not scared to ask what might be considered dumb and to question everything. It follows on, we live in a world of judgment with an increasing fear of failure, but understanding the many reasons why something doesn't work is the best tool for creativity. Yeah, that's spot on, isn't it? I do like that quote, the idea that we live in a world of judgment. I think that is very true. There seems to be a, a rush to judgment and evaluation of things too quickly, and it doesn't allow some of those ideas or thoughts to flourish. And a lot of the different things he's been doing have actually the concepts have been around for years and years and years, like sort of the 1850s are talking about nitrogen and or nitrous, whatever he uses <laughs> to freeze stuff. I think really. he's, yeah, he's kind of using liquid nitrogen quite a lot. That's it, it? To, yeah, yeah. With a sort of, but, and, it all, and it all sort of smoking away as it comes out of the top of a test tube next to a scoop of ice cream. But he's, he got his ideas from research. Like he went back to what chefs were doing in the 1850s, like this idea. So just he was highly curious and he's highly curious about what he saw in other restaurants. And I liked that once he was in Italy and a risotto, seafood risotto came out and he asked for some parmesan on it. And, you know, the, the face of the waiter was like, oh, my, oh my God. <laughs> and he thought, well, why not? Because he thought in science there's a reaction with the crab meat and the seafood and the parmesan and so just the way he's questioned everything i love it well my dad i think was quite ahead of his time as well we always used to have uh, meals at our house as i was growing up where 
dad seemed to be ahead of the curve on what might be called fusion cooking because there was many a time where we'd be sat having, having spaghetti bolognese with a naan bread in the middle of the table <laughs> or, or, we'd be having, or we'd be having garlic bread with a chicken chow min or something like that so he was obviously way ahead of his time i mean he was the heston of his day <laughs> Well done, Dad. <laughs> Simon, as a not-so-serious business podcast, it's quite good now for us to think about how we might bring some of the ideas we've been chatting about into the realms of ourselves working as individuals, whether that's we're solo entrepreneurs or whether we work within organizations, teams that we might be part of leaders that we might be, organisations we might be working within. So maybe starting with individuals, what are some of the thoughts you've got around how mashups might be something individuals can start to bring into their own life or work life? What's your thoughts? Probably a little bit of a tangent of the mashup, but a piece of this mashup idea is that you need to be open to unexpected things. So be open yep. to ideas connecting that you hadn't thought of. And just a nice one for our personal life. We often get caught in this planning piece, and planning is really important, don't get me wrong. But imagine like I often talk around the traveller's eyes. So imagine you've got a, you go to a new city and you just know, you don't know what's there. You've got a bit of a guidebook. You just wander. You find a bar, you mm. find you know, all this type of stuff on yeah. the day that happens. That's the fun you get part. Back, yeah, yeah. The fun part is not knowing what's around the corner. So be open to those not knowing what's around the corner. So just look at the world with eyes wide open and, yeah, be open to that 20 25%, 30%, which is different to what you might have had in mind for that day and probably a little bit of flexibility just emotionally and socially and just, yeah, be open to cool things happening. Yeah. And I think one of the thoughts I had was around, we talked at mashups, I mentioned Venn diagrams, and obviously, you know, I, I love a Venn diagram. <laughs> I love finding intersections. And I just thought that there's a chance for you as individuals or us as individuals to uh, find our own intersections, find those mashups, push together, create a Venn diagram of your skills or your passions or your interests and motivations to just push those together and see what emerges at the intersection, because it could define a new role, it could create a new opportunity a new business who knows but yeah there seems to be could be quite a fun exercise just to do a personal mashup and see what emerges yeah and there's an entrepreneurial program i'm part of being connected to for sort of four or five years and they talk around you always ignore the mountain of valley that you're sitting on so there's a whole bunch of stuff you're good at which is this mashup and interest that you can probably there's some real valley there so if you can find those intersections and it doesn't have to be a venn diagram john it could be like a, a mm. diagonal cross if you're a bit <laughs> you know i've been doing venn diagrams all my life then you, <laughs> just one of those four things on the side of the, the cross, like a kiss to <laughs> the end of I love you. <laughs> as long as it's visual, I'm happy. As long as you can yeah. create a visual around it or a model, I, I'm happy enough. Now, I mean, um, this is a mashup, you know, occupational philosophers. This was a mashup. This was the idea of we we're interested in work life and ideas of people in organizations and growth and development. And we we're interested in philosophy and curiosity and questions. And hey, this was Here we this are. emerged. <laughs> Whether it was a good invention or not is another question in itself. Now, what about teams? And I think this is a really nice one because 
well, we speak, even if you are a solopreneur, let's say, you're still, you'll never launch that piece by yourself. And the majority of us work in teams of some sort or in part of an ecosystem. What do you think about teams to be open to sort of ideas of mashups? Any suggestions? You work a lot in this space. Yeah, I mean, I'm immediately struck by just the idea of teams coming together and having dedicated mashup sessions. I would love the idea that if, as teams you would come together and almost lay out everything that the organization has at its disposal. You know, it's the ideas, the products, the services, the structures, process systems, whatever it is that is is your organization. Bring a team together and say, look, just push these together. Where's the mashups? Where might be there some intersections between different ideas, products and services within the business that could create something completely new, could create a new opportunity, new revenue stream, whatever you want to think about it. But uh, yeah, mashup sessions. I think that will be quite a liberating thing. Quite fun as well. There's something there, isn't there? Like when we mash up ideas and be like, who who knows? And that's what's exciting. I think the other thing as well, you realise that the good old necessity is the mother of invention. And that's what's been seen as well, is that organisations have seen the need to do some reinvention, to do some mashups, to find ways of getting their products and services to market in a different way, partly pandemic, partly sort of uh, different events that sort of suddenly take shape around them. And that mashup idea becomes really important. I think a nice way to do it as well is I heard the saying recently, I often talk around having the, the naive expert in your group, but I like this one I heard last week on this same conference, uh, the stranger in the room. And they were saying, look, you want someone who knows nothing about your problem, like bringing the youngest person into your board meeting, like the newest grad, have them sit there at a seat at the table, like bringing some different ideas because you're all sitting there, you all think the same, you've all been on the board or leadership team for X amount of years. Bring in that, who's the stranger in the room who can provide that mashup? And especially around, I really like this idea of technology, how, you know, like you say to your kids, I think I said it previously, like send me an email, they're like, what? Like, no one emails. You know, how do you communicate? They go Snapchat or Instagram Messenger. Like, There's no idea of, you know, so there's mashups, idea mashups that can happen if we embrace diversity as well and bring in people. Like if your next team meeting, let's bring in seven people we don't know. John, what about leaders? What's something we could, what's some lessons for leaders in this idea of mashups and unexpected things connecting? Well, I think leaders are often, they're responsible for creating the environment that these kind of things can flourish in. So I think for leaders, the first and foremost is to start role modeling it, start doing innovation or start doing mashups or being curious, endlessly curious, asking the questions. That signals that it's okay. It's safe to ask questions. It's safe to think about things in a in a creative way and just really be focused on allowing people to feel then safe that they can have mashup sessions, <laughs> you know, that that's okay. There's space to do it. It's welcomed. It's going to be something that's going to bring about longevity or sustained success for the business. So, yeah, encourage it, role model it, make it happen. Yeah, I like that. Just be part of the process and sending that message that yeah, I expect everyone to be curious. Yeah, that, that's it. You need to sort of weave it in so it feels more natural rather than being something that happens there with an innovation unit that sits over in there in that room with white walls and grass on the floor. 
having a mashup <laughs> session. Everybody can do it. Yeah. Now I'd probably go with who's in your ecosystem I could connect, who's those mashups of ideas, even if they're polar opposites. I know there could be something that could come out of that, two great people chatting with the outcome just being see what happens. Yeah, get together, share some ideas. I think it'd be a, that's a nice lever as well for, and permission to do that. And it's interesting often to hear about organisations where they, and again, it's going to become interesting as we come back to the office, inverted commas, that you see organisations try to create the space as well. They try to lay things out in a way where people do have collisions, as they might call it. They want people to collide from different sections and departments and divisions and disciplines. And they're trying to encourage that for those serendipitous moments, those moments of where something great happens because people just collide and they start chatting and something emerges from two different areas of the business. Something different emerges. Now, I've been thinking about since you did that thought experiment, the walking in the woods, where you sort of dived into my soul a little bit. I've been thinking, what's one I can, I've been searching for one that I can involve you in to learn a little bit more about you. And um, here I've got one for you. Now, there are five things going on simultaneously which need to be taken care of. The telephone is ringing. The baby is crying. Mm-hmm. Someone knocks at the front door or rings the doorbell. There is laundry hanging on the line outside and begins to rain. And the tap in the kitchen is running. What order would you take care of these problems? <laughs> <laughs> I so so my instinct is turn off the tap. Yeah. Check on the baby. Yeah. Answer the door. Okay. Get the laundry. Laundry. A telephone if I get to it. Okay. And um and the phone. Okay. <laughs> All right. Is that go you're a psychopath? <laughs> well, look. Each these represent something in a person's life. Okay. So the, oh, the phone represents your job or career. The baby represents Ooh. family. The visitors represent your friends. Okay. The laundry represents your sex life. And the running water <laughs> money or wealth. So... Here's what you, your order of your, of your life. Number one is wealth. You're concerned with money or wealth because you chose the tap. That's your most important thing. Family come in a good second. They come second. So they're the, the baby. Your friends yep. third. Your sex life number four. And your job is the least important thing in your life. So I hope you'll. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I think I'd answer the telephone before the uh, I get the laundry in. <laughs> I'd put the laundry right at the top. <laughs> Simon, at the end of the show, we always like to do a wrap-up where we think about takeaways. What have been your highlights then that you would finish up with? Well, I think if you're sitting there listening, just a couple of key things. One goes back to Heston Blumenthal and his motto, he has a coat of arms, which is interesting. It took him seven years to design it. But I love on that it says question everything. I think it's just a lovely, 
I love it. Just be curious, question everything at work or in business, uh, or at work or in business, same thing, at <laughs> work or at home, I should say. Just question everything. And the other one, which may be a little bit more personal, but I think just be open to unexpected adventures. Like, you yeah, know, be open to there's loads of great things happening in the world. Be open to you being part of them. And you never know, there's chance encounters, the chance meetings. Say hello to someone you might normally say hello to. Just be open to different things to what you might normally do. Eyes wide open. I like that. Yeah. And question I, everything. I, I like that as well, but but not in a conspiracy theorist type way. <laughs> there, there are some strong caveats. <laughs> <laughs> no, that takes you to another place altogether. So for me, I think it was just that thing of seeing that there's connections running through everything. Everything is part of something. I think if I would say the business takeaway would be don't compartmentalize. I think organizations set themselves up often with departments and divisions and people do this and this disciplines over there. And actually you can bring them all together. You can bring these and see connections and intersections, mashups between things and just be again, open to that idea that everything's connected. So don't compartmentalize. It's the blindingly obvious one, mash up departments, get different teams talking, isn't it? Like get people out of, you know, every organization. We have a few silos here. Like it's a universal thing. Get, get them, get them yeah. talking and connecting. Yeah. Yeah. Mash up those silos. Except if you work in some sort of uh, atomic weapons facility. Don't do or that. Grain holding facility. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then... Personally, I probably just need to find a different way to express intersections other than Venn diagrams. So I'm going to go and look at what other visual techniques might allow me to find out different ways to represent mashups. John, that's us. Great to spend some time with you again today looking at mashups. Very interesting topic indeed. Here's what we'd like you to do. Go check out the website, say hello, subscribe, tell your friends, give us a rating, and thank you for those who have been. And uh-huh. be curious, play more, make stuff, have fun. So I was thinking about the uh, idea of mashups, portmanteau words I mentioned earlier. And okay. um, I was starting to, I found a portmanteau word generator, put two words. Okay. Yep. I was thinking about all those university courses where people now can study anything together. And I yeah. thought about juggling a mathematics. I thought, I wonder if I put that in, could I get a course name for it? And uh, Juggermathics came out. I thought, that's quite cool. I've got a degree DHD. in Juggermathics. Yeah. I'm a doctor. <laughs> Juggermathics. <laughs>